God. But with Jesus, the maths never add up because he's also 100% man. And he teaches us and he shows us and he reveals to us a new way of living. The way that perhaps God created us and intended us to live. And he invites us into living a life that is a new way to be human. And so we've been doing this series and um, I've got to the week now um, on a message that I want to call. Now this is something I'm an expert in. This is something I'm an expert in. So if you've got a Bible, Matthew 4, and we're just going to read the first 11 verses of Matthew 4. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his... There's the throwing down right there. What verse was I on? uh, Thank you. He will command his angels concerning you. Uh, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God um, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak today and you speak in our worship you speak in our lives you speak in the ordinary and you speak through your word so we gather around your word now and ask will you speak will you do by your spirit what I cannot possibly do which is meet each one of us right where we're at and speak into our hearts into our lives so we'd be more like you amen amen so I said I want to call this this message now this is something I'm an expert in I wonder if you would consider yourself an expert in anything any experts in the church this morning? One humble expert putting his hands up at the back. <laughs> now, I don't mean arrogantly. I mean just like, you know, I, I know some stuff and I'm pretty good at knowing that. There's a writer called Malcolm Gladwell who says um, that uh, in a book that he wrote, he said you can be an expert in something if you spend around 10,000 hours doing that thing. The 10,000 hour rule, he, he calls it. And so you can play the piano and if you play the piano for 10,000 hours, then you're an expert in it. I mean, not the way I play the piano. If I play the piano for 10,000 hours, then I've got an empty room for a very long time. But the theory goes that if you spend enough time studying that thing for 10,000 hours, you are an expert in it. I thought I was an expert in cars. thought I knew a little bit about cars. I, I drive a lot. So if I drive a lot, then surely I know a bit about cars. So I was driving back from uh, an office that I have in Malvern with Elam Head Office. And I'm driving along and I hear this metal sound. I think that's a really odd noise. Like, I know cars well enough to know that's not a sound a car should be making. Um, and so I pull over. Um, that was, uh, let me tell the truth. It's about temptation, so let me tell the truth. I drove for a few more miles turning the radio up and thought, it's all right, it'll go away. And then it carried on and got worse. And so I pulled over and I thought, it must be something in the boot. So I went around to the boot and I opened up the boot and I moved some stuff around, shut the boot and got in the car and carried on driving. And it seemed to solve the problem. And I thought, fantastic, I, am, I know so much about cars that it, I knew it wasn't the car itself, it was just something rattling in the boot. And so I got home and I pulled into the garage and got the garage down, went in and spent the evening with the family and completely forgot about my car. 
until the next day, uh, I was taking the kids to school. It was my, my day on the school run. And so I got both kids in the car and I, I reverse out of my garage and I'm driving along and every single tiny little flick of stone on the road was making my car jolt. And that tiniest little jolt was making the most horrific clanking metal against metal sound you could possibly imagine. I'm like, this isn't good. There's no way my car should be making this noise. And so I'm panicking. I've got two kids in the car, and I'm thinking, the car's going to just clunk down. It's going to fall apart at any minute. This is the extent of my knowledge. I hear that sound. It means the car's going to fall apart. We're all going to crash. We're going to die. And that, I mean, don't call me overdramatic or anything, but that's where my train of thought went. I'm thinking, it's over for us. Thank you, Jesus. Receive us now. Amen. And I, I was praying for my daughter, who I'm pretty convinced is backslidden. So I was praying for her. And my son, he's... Yeah, I'm joking. He <laughs> I'm going to stop there, because uh, I'm going to offend people. Um, and so I'm praying and, uh, and I'm ringing Dave because like Dave's the mechanic who, know, who is the expert on cars. I might have driven them, but, and I'm just getting, this number cannot be recognized. I'm thinking, what? You, you've changed your, I mean, that's one way to tell your pastor you don't want him to ring. You know, change your number. This number cannot be recognized. So I'm thinking, oh, so I text Wendy. And in my head, I'm thinking, they were away last week and I knew they were going on holiday, but maybe they're still on holiday. So I text just saying, if you're on holiday, I'm really, really sorry. Just ignore it. Um, and, and Wendy, bless her, text back. and was like, yeah, we are on holiday uh, and all that. And I was like, don't worry, forget it. And so I went to my dad because dads are always the savior of everything. And I rang my dad and was like, dad, I need your help because uh, I thought I was an expert in cars and I'm not. Uh, and so he's looking around going, no, I'm not too sure myself, to be honest, but we need to get it to the garage. And so we drive it to the garage. Long story short is that the suspension spring had snapped. Okay, and it was, the metal was rattling around. I've got like an enclosed wheel arch and it was rattling around. Now, I've had that happen in a car before and the whole thing went like that. So I was a little bit surprised, but that's the extent of my ignorance to do with cars. And so um, he said to me, the, the guy in the garage said, um, it's not a problem, we can fix it, no problem at all, but we don't have the part available today. It, it's, it's just not available, they can't deliver it today, so you're gonna have to wait until tomorrow. And I was like, that's no problem, um, we can get that sorted. And so if you can ring me tomorrow um, and then we'll be able to come and collect it. So I go, uh, I'm waiting around the next day, and he rings, and he says, yeah, your car's ready to collect, come down and get it. And so I get a lift down to the garage, and, and I'm stood there talking to him, and I've never felt such an idiot in all my life. Because he said to me, I'm, uh, he apologized for me having to wait, and he said, I I'm really sorry that you had to wait for the part, because titanium's really, really common. And I said to him, oh, because in my brain I'm thinking I'm quite clever here, titanium, that's a really strong metal. It's like, I'm amazed that spring snapped. Like, titanium, it's... So I went, oh... So the spring's made of titanium. How come it snapped? And, and, and you know when you say something and you realize, oh, I've just said something that's made me look a right idiot. Because he looks at me and he went, no, you. And I mean, he, he, bless him. There was a few expletives. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was like, ooh. Um, and he said, no, your spring's not made of titanium. That would have cost thousands. Your car's a titanium. And what I realized was that my car is a Ford, whatever it is, titanium. That's the range within the car. Not that the spring is made of titanium. The spring is made of some cheap, nasty metal that breaks really easy when you go down a pothole, which is why the spring broke and I need to go to the garage. Man, I felt like an absolute idiot. See, just because I drive doesn't mean I'm an expert in cars. But this is something I am an expert in this morning. The topic that I want to talk around this morning is something that I think, I don't want to speak for you, maybe you're a lot more spiritual than me, but I am an expert in this. And I want to suggest that maybe we all are because we all face it, we all have to deal with it. Oftentimes we give into it. I want to talk around the whole area of temptation this morning and look at the life of Jesus and how he calls us into a new way to be human in the face of the temptation that he is bombarded with. 
See, I wonder if we're all experts in temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, Paul writes this. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, you're all experts in temptation. Because what you face, it may look different, but actually at the root of it is very, very similar to what I face. And the temptations we all face, there's nothing that you have faced that has not been faced by humanity since the beginning of time, after the fall. So we're all experts in temptation. From Eden, oh, look at that fruit. Mm, I might try that fruit. Oh, and then I'll become like God. Right through to our life, through to Jesus. 1 John 2, 16 spells it out like this. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. Oh, look at that fruit. That tastes nice. I want to be like God. It's exactly the same stuff that we face. From Eden to Jesus to us. But I want to clarify something just as we start. Because I see so many people and I think we get caught up in a misunderstanding of what temptation actually is. So I think we need to define it right from the start, that temptation is not sin. Temptation and sin are two different things. Temptation can lead to sin, but but Hebrews talks about a high priest talking of Jesus. He says, he was tempted in every way, but did not sin. And so, So temptation and sin are different. So some of us can feel so overwhelmed, so crippled by the fact that we're tempted, and we think, oh, God must hate me. But temptation is common to man. Jesus was tempted. Temptation can lead us to sin, but it is not sin. Temptation is a trial in which we have a choice. There is a choice when it comes to temptation. So often we find ourselves, you, can, you speak to somebody and just say they're in the mess, midst of a mess of sin and, and error and wrong in their life. And they're just like, I feel like I didn't have a choice. No, perhaps in that sin you didn't. But there was a temptation that led up to it where there was choice. Choice to be faithful or not faithful. And that's the trial. The temptation is the trial. And this is where Jesus finds himself in Matthew 4. Facing this trial. Facing this temptation. And he's in the middle of this trial where he has a choice to be faithful or unfaithful. Now remember, Jesus is 100% God. So he couldn't have sinned anyway. And you're like, well, that's a bit of an unfair advantage. It's like, I mean, we're, we're looking at Jesus as a new way to be human and there's no way he would have sinned anyway because he was 100% God. But you've got to remember he was 100% man. And so the desire and the temptation to sin was just as strong as it is for us. And he had to stand firm in the midst of that temptation. And Matthew 4, it starts. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now there's a verse we could spend the next seven hours on. And I can see you're in agreement, so that's what we're going to do. Clear your diaries. Because we read it and and we say, then Jesus was. And I read that and I'm like, then it forces us to consider what went before, doesn't it? If, if then I've done that, well, what was I doing before that? You see, the chapters and the verses in the Bible were added much later. They're, they're for me to be able to say, we're going to read Matthew 4, 1 this morning. And you will go, no, oh, I don't know where that is. But actually what happens is we can read a chapter of the Bible and we think, oh, great, I've read the chapter of the Bible. I'm doing really, really well today. But we don't understand what's going on around it. And actually what's happening to Jesus in this moment is really significant because of what has happened in Matthew 3. That in Matthew 3, we see this moment of Jesus getting baptized. This glorious moment when he is being faithful, being obedient. He didn't need to be baptized. 
We've got nine people getting baptized in a few weeks' time, and it's a symbol of them dying to their old life and, 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 and uh, uniting with Christ and then rising again. It's a symbol of what God has done in their life. Well, Jesus didn't need to die to his old life, but he was being obedient, setting an example as a new way to be human. Jesus being faithful in this moment as he's baptized, he sees the open heaven and the spirit descends and rests upon him. And then the father's voice cries out, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. What a moment for Jesus. I mean, can you imagine being stood there and he comes back up and says, this is my son. I don't know what the voice of God sounds like. I've never heard it audibly, but I'm guessing it's going to be like, this is my, no, maybe it's more like, this is my son. I don't know. But anyway, however it was, these are the sort of things I think about when I read scripture. <laughs> but the voice of God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. See, after the water, always comes the wilderness. After baptism, oftentimes comes a bombardment. That we can have a high, we can feel great, we can feel like, God, I'm on top of the world, I've got an open heaven over me, the Spirit of God is flowing through me, oh, she came in a Honda, Shabbatabadoodah, look at that, it's amazing and it's just phenomenal. And then, oh, the voice of God, I am a child of God. And we sing the songs and we believe it, but then Monday happens. Oh, no. I did that, thought that. Should have done this. God, I'm, it's like heavens are shut up. feel like I'm praying to nobody. Am I really a child of God? If I was a child of God, I wouldn't have done that. Suddenly we go from the water in to the wilderness. And suddenly we crash. And we're like, hang on, it's not meant to be like that. We often see, don't we, people become a Christian and then we think like, God in my life means everything's going to be great again. It's like everything's going to be perfect. Life is going to be brilliant. And then they lose their job. They're like, God, that's not how this was meant to go. And it can be so tempting just to drift away. And I wish as your pastor, if you see me as your pastor, it's quite fine if you don't. I'm not, I'm not forcing myself upon you. But if I am your pastor, then I wish I could press a magic button in your life and make your life like a Disney musical. You know, and just make it like perfect. I can show you the world. I wish it was like that. Shining, shimmering splendor. I wish I could do that in your life. I wish I could, but I can't because I'm bound by this book. And I wish when I met with you, I could say, I can make it all all right for you. I know the answer. Here, but the book says that Jesus went from the baptism and he went into a bombardment. That should be life is full of these ups and downs, these moments where God seems close, where God seems to be affirming us. It's like heaven is open, the Spirit is on me, and God is pleased with me. But then we move into the wilderness. It's like nothing is making any sense. And what's worse is that we read that verse and it says that it's the Spirit of God that leads Jesus into the wilderness. And I read that, I'm like, hang on a minute, what? No, 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 that, that, that can't be right. The Spirit of God, that, that can't be the one that's leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. The wilderness isn't the place of God. Why, why would God lead me to a place that is, is, is barren and lifeless and, and he's not there? And what, what, Why would the Spirit of God do that? This can't be God. This, this can't be the same God, the same Spirit that just ascended in the chapter before. This must be some kind of evil Spirit that's like... But do you notice that the Spirit is leading him into the wilderness? It's the devil that's doing the tempting. The Spirit's not doing the tempting. Scripture says that God cannot tempt. 
But the Spirit is leading him into the wilderness. The Spirit is doing the leading, and the leading is going in the direction of the wilderness. God often times in my life has led me to a place where I feel wholly uncomfortable, maybe even barren. I feel like I do not want to be there. And my question is, God, what have I done wrong? Why are you letting this happen to me? But then I have to remember that it's not to punish me, it's to transform me. But God leads us to a place because he wants to do some work in us. This is the story of Israel. The story of Jesus, it it mirrors the the grand narrative of God's story of humanity, of God's story with Israel, that they leave slavery, they're in slavery in Egypt, and they they, they escape, and they go through the waters of the Red Sea, and God performs a miracle in the waters. It's phenomenal. Look, God, God does a miracle. God does something phenomenal in the waters of Jesus' baptism, and then leads him straight away into the wilderness. What does he do with Israel? 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Because many preachers have said they got out of Egypt in a day, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the people. Because he wants to transform us and lead us to a place of freedom. And so often when we're in the wilderness, the things that we actually have inside of us and who we actually are start to come to the surface. It's like refining gold. In ancient times when they refined gold, it's all chemical now, but what they used to do is they used to heat the gold to in excess of a thousand degrees. And as it got hotter and hotter and hotter, all the impurities, all the scum, all the crud, it came to the surface and they could skim it away. And so the gold became even more gold, became purified, became what it was intended to be. See, sometimes God is leading us to a place where what's inside of us, who we are, is being revealed so it can be dealt with. Because God is not about your comfort. He is about your conformity. Why? Because the world does not need a better version of you. With all due respect, I love you. I do. I love this church. I love the people. I love that I get to to somehow try and make it look like I'm leading this thing. I love it. But you on your best day cannot save humanity. I'm sorry, you can't. I'm just going to try really hard today, God. I'm just going to be my best for you. It's not going to work. See, God is about our conformity because he knows that what the world needs is Jesus. Jesus working in and through you, making you look more and more like him, to live, love and look like him in every sphere of your life. And that is what transforms humanity. And so oftentimes God will lead us to a place that is wholly uncomfortable, where if we feel out of our depth, where we feel like we're losing everything, because he's saying, I want to take you deeper. See, the wilderness is an invitation to go deeper, to go deeper. And we oftentimes want to live our lives in the water. And we think, if I can just do that for my life, I will have successfully made it through this world unscathed. And we can call it a success and give God all the glory. And I get to heaven and happy days. Do you know what? If we live like that, we settle for something less that has no power to transform us or the world around us. God allows a wilderness experience to the deep working of making us more like him of taking us beyond just being blessed into the realm of being a blessing. And that's what the devil, Satan, the tempter, whatever you want to call him, that's what he comes against to try and stop. And he will cause us in that wilderness place to think God has deserted us, God doesn't care, I'm no longer his child. Do you notice how he comes against Jesus? 
He comes in his most vulnerable moment. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love how underwhelming the Bible is. I mean, you're not, I mean, I would be, I'm like, he was absolutely starving. It's probably a better translation, but he, no, he was just peckish. Um, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones uh, to become loaves of bread. If you are the son of God. I mean, the answer is, hang on a second. A few verses earlier, God just said, I am the son of God in whom I am well pleased. There's no if about it. But the enemy comes and he says, you know what? I'm going to get you in that place of vulnerability and I'm going to start to question the word of God over your life. I'm going to say, if you really are the son of God. If you really are. Church, we have a tempter who wants to use our moments of vulnerability. Moments when God is seeking to do a deeper work of transforming us and conforming us to his image. And it comes in direct confrontation to the work and the words of God in your life. Happens all the time, doesn't it? That's why I'm an expert in this. You might think as a pastor that I get to stand up here and I'm like immune to all of this. It's like, boo, 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 just flicks off me. Just leave church, feeling great. Oh, yeah, I got to preach. Woohoo! Got to do all this stuff. I get home and I'm thinking, like, God, I'm so unworthy. I shouldn't have said that. God, if, if I loved you, I, I should have done this. And I should have been there for that person. And, and God, I, I'm not sure I'm good enough for doing this. We, we all go through the same battles. If you are the Son of God, God really loved you, you would have sold this desire. God really loved you. He'd have done this for you. He'd have made a way in this area. As a temptation kicks in and we think, do you know what? I'm just going to take it for myself. I'm just going to do it for myself because if God's not going to do it, I know what's best for me and I'm just going to do it because that's what I need in my life to find satisfaction. This is why it's significant that in every case that the temptation comes to Jesus, he comes against it with the word of God. Because what the enemy will try and do is convince you that God has said something different or God is doing something different. And we need to come back and we need to say, hang on a second. This is what God actually says. This is what God actually does. And so I want to give you three observations this morning. I'm doing a proper sermon for those that like it. I know there's some of you that like, like it proper. Three points, all beginning with the same letter. I am learning and I am listening. Okay? So there's no excuse for you not to remember this one because I'm doing it how you want it. Three points. And the first is this, the word of God. And we've heard messages around this, but the word of God, it says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Have you ever read that and thought, It's not that tempting, is it really? I mean, let, just, let's be honest. If, I, if the extent of temptation in my day was, the te- was Satan coming to me and saying, John, you see those rocks right there? Turn them into loaves of bread. I'd be like, I think I can cope with that. Quite happy with that. I think I'm, that's a manageable temptation for me. But there's something far deeper here that's going on. You see, I, I don't think what's happening here is that, that, that Jesus hasn't been eating for 40 days. And he says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. I haven't eaten for 40 days. I don't need bread. I just need to contemplate the Psalms. I'm not sure that's what Jesus is actually getting at right now. What Jesus is saying is far deeper than that. Because what he's saying here is that, 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 that what he's quoting is from Deuteronomy. Let me get into this. I wasn't going to go here, but I'm just going to unpack this for a few minutes. Deuteronomy. Jesus is quoting a passage from Deuteronomy where, where um, the people have been coming out of, of slavery and they're in the wilderness and uh, they're, they're moaning and complaining and saying, we've not got any food, we need some food. God, will you prove to us that you're God? We need some food. 
And so God actually does. And he steps in and he says, here's some manna. And he gives them this manna every single morning when they wake up. He gives them manna. And it's there on the floor in front of them like these little frosties. You know, Kellogg's frosties just all over the ground that they can just chew on and eat. But what's, the problem is that God has said that this will only last 24 hours. Some of them try to store it up and keep it for longer. Because they were like, we can solve this problem on our own. If we just store this food up, we'll have it for longer. But God says, no, 24 hours. 24 hours he spoke into the manna. But then he said on the sixth day, I'm going to speak into that manna and it is going to be 48 hours because I don't want you to collect manna on the, the Sabbath. I want you to rest. And I want you to dedicate that day. And so he spoke into the manna on the sixth day. See, somewhere along the lines, we have determined that the supply will meet our need. We have said, if I can just have that in my life, oh, then it'll all be okay. Then I'll find satisfaction. Then my life will make sense. If I can just have that in my life. But the trouble is, if God hasn't spoken satisfaction into that thing, it will never satisfy you. Man does not live by bread alone. Bread is satisfying. Bread is great when you're hungry. But if God hadn't spoken into it, there's no way it was going to be any more satisfying than the rocks themselves. And so there's stuff that we can be tempted with, that we can pull towards and we can say, oh, I just want that. But God has not spoken satisfaction into it. But when God speaks satisfaction into things, Oh boy, the substitute just pales in comparison. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. How often do we hear the word of God? How often do we know what it sounds like? We've got it right here. When we struggled, uh, so many times people say, I'm not hearing God's voice. I'm like, are you reading the Bible? No, 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 I want to hear the voice of God. Like, yeah, are you reading the Bible? No, 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 I don't think, John, can you listen? I want to hear the voice of God. I know, have you read the Bible? (laughs) Do we get this book inside of us? It's not just a book, this is about a person. It's about a relationship. And when when we read scripture, we're not just reading scripture for the sake of reading scripture. We're reading scripture, encounter the God of scripture and to invite him and say, God, what are you speaking? What are you saying through this passage into my life? Oh God, will you speak it? Will you help me see it? And suddenly we start to see things and God starts to speak through his word and we start to hear his voice. It's not the only way that God speaks, but when we're struggling to hear, it's a great place to start. Because otherwise, the voice of if you are the son of God, starts to get louder and louder and louder and louder. If you are a child of God, you wouldn't have done that. <laughs> to those who believe in his name have the right to become children of God. That's what his word says. Oh, you're useless, John. You're always getting it wrong. Oh, there's therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You need to get into his word. It's written. See, Jesus knew scripture. These verses show us that. He read it. I mean, he wrote it. Bit of a paradox, he wrote it as God, but, but as man, he needed it. And if he needed it, how much more do we need it? Getting into the word of God. So we've got the word of God, first observation. The second observation is the way of God. The way of God. It says, when the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, there it is again, another one. It doesn't stop. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you should not put the Lord, your God, to the test. See, I, I like to question scripture when I read it. I'm like, what if, what if, let's just roll it out for a minute. What if Jesus had jumped? Like, let's just play it out. I mean, he jumped, 
Scripture says that the angels concerning you will hold out their mighty hands lest you strike your foot against a rock. Love Scripture. What happens if he'd have jumped? The angels arrive, they hold him, they stop him from hurting himself. What, what would that have proved? All it proves is that my belief in who God is, is based on a positive outcome. That if I, if I test God now, and he proves himself to me, oh good God, you really are who you say you are. And so our faith is based on a positive outcome. But if that's true, then the opposite has to be true. And so if we base our whole identity on who God is, is on a positive outcome, that when it's a negative outcome, God, you're not who you say you are. Because my life doesn't make any sense, because the outcome is negative. So all that's happening in this moment is, he is being tempted to, to, to base his identity on who he is and who God is on positive outcomes in our life. On everything going the way we want it to go. This is what Israel felt in Exodus 17. They're wandering in the wilderness. They've got no water. They're complaining. Their faith in who God is and who they are is being tested. And Moses scolds them. He says, why are you having a go at me? It's not like I wanted this job. I've been given it. Don't have a go at me. Why are you testing God? Does life with water in slavery in Egypt mean God loves you? But right now, without water in the desert, it means he doesn't love you? Does an easier life, does positive outcomes mean God loves us more? Do we look around and think, oh, their life's easy. God really loves them and blesses them. My life's a mess. God must hate me. For Jesus to test the Father and jump in this moment would be so much easier for him. I mean, can you imagine? He's been taken to the temple, the center of Jewish life. He jumps. The priests, the people, Rome, they all see this moment as the angels come and save him. If he jumps in this moment, it means no garden, no punishment, no torture, no cross. It's a much easier way. It's a much, much easier way. But the easiest way is not God's way. The easiest way needs no faith. The easiest way is about comfort. The easiest way is not where the deep work of us dying to ourselves takes place so we can become more like Jesus. I read 1 Corinthians 10, 13 at the start and it carries on. It says he will not let anybody be tempted beyond what they can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. You see, the easiest way would say, when I come to God, he's going to magically remove all temptation from my life because that's the easiest way. But the way of God says he will provide a way of escape through temptation. That's the way of God. We think the wilderness is the place of defeat but actually the wilderness is a place of potential victory as we gather and suck up and read the word of God and we chew on it and we feast on it as we walk in the way of God. And then the third starts like this. Again in verse eight, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So we've got the word of God, we've got the way of God, we've got the worship of God. And some of you now feel wholly satisfied. Church, 
I want to suggest to you that your temptation is ultimately a choice about what you worship. The, the base of every temptation is a, is a dichotomy about what are we going to worship. Because I want to suggest that every moment you're awake, you're worshipping something. The choice is, what are you worshipping? And the promise of temptation is huge, but it never delivers. Oh, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all of the kingdoms in all of the world if you worship me. I mean, what's Satan thinking? A reject of heaven that's days are numbered is offering the saviour of the world all the kingdoms. Why? Because your worship matters. If it didn't, Satan wouldn't be interested in trying to take it from you, in trying to gain it. Worship matters because in worship, this is how we fight our battles. Because in worship, we lift up his name. And when we lift up the king's name, his kingdom starts to have dominion. And when his kingdom starts to have dominion, another kingdom doesn't compare. And it starts to take over. And the things of this kingdom start to gain momentum. Our worship matters because we lift Jesus high. And I'm not just talking about our singing, but in the choice of how we live. how, how How we live alongside others. Our words, what we say, what we do. Yeah, our singing is a huge part of it. But actually what that actually is really all about is saying, do you know what? Let's sing some truth. Let's remind our heart who God actually is. Let's do it together. See, when we worship, God starts to change things. Kingdoms of the world, our neighborhoods, our households, they start to shift. We start to see God move in when we choose to live a life of worship. Why? Verse 11. Verse 11, I absolutely love because it says the devil left. See, when we lift up his name and we say there's no other name that is higher, do you know what the devil has to do? See, uh, I've got my marching orders, I'm leaving. Because he knows that he's not going to get your worship. He knows you've made a choice. I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm reading the word of God. You can if me as much as you like, but it declares in his word that I'm a child of God. You can offer me an easier life, but you know what? I actually want to become more like him. And so I'm going to step into this and say, God, you do the deep work of what you need to do. And I'm going to worship him with every moment that's lived and every breath that I breathe. And it's then that we start to see breakthroughs. Then we start to see victory. You see, the wilderness is actually the place of victory because the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But in resisting all of that and standing firm on the word of God, the way of God and the worship of God, you know what happened? The devil left. So there's a victory in the place of wilderness that you may not experience outside of the wilderness. Ian, will you come up and start to play for us? I want to finish. I want to finish with us choosing to worship. Yes, with our singing. But how about we set a tone at the start of the week that says, do you know what? I'm making a choice right now. You've made a choice to be here this morning. You may not have thought about it. Just It's Sunday, I go to church. You made a choice. I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for for making that time to be with each other. It's important. Made a choice to worship. Made a choice to gather around his word. You made a choice not to live the easier life. Of actually, do you know what there's to do for that? I'm going to put it back over my head. A lot easier. There's going to be a choice tomorrow and there's going to be a choice the day after and there's going to be a choice the day after that and sometimes you'll make the wrong choice. And the enemy will want to say, if you were the son of God, you wouldn't have done that. You say, yeah, but you know what? I've got a name that's higher than my own mistakes. 
I've got a God who loves me based on the performance of what Jesus has done, not what I've done. So do you know what? Though a righteous man may fall seven times, seven is the number of completion in the Bible. It's a Hebrew number of significance, meaning whole. Even though you might monumentally fall, still I will rise. Because there's a God who makes a way in the wilderness for us to experience victory. Church, let's stand together if you're willing and able. There's some of you in the room this morning and I wonder if you find yourself in a wilderness place and you've been battling against it saying, do you know what, I don't want to be here. If God loved me, I wouldn't be. The wilderness is not proof that God has deserted you. It's proof that God has destined you. Victory can be found in that place of the wilderness when we go through what God has got for us. God wants to work in us. In that barren place, we often will see the smallest of streams. In that desert, we notice the smallest of things. Do you know, I've got a few short minutes just to tell you this very brief story. A number of years ago, there's a place called Death Valley in California. Death Valley is the driest, hottest place in America, as I understand it. And nothing grows there. It's called Death Valley for a reason. But what happened is, One year, rain fell on Death Valley. And a huge amount of rain fell in a short period of time. And the following spring, do you know what happened? Flowers started to rise up in Death Valley. Flowers started to bloom in Death Valley. There was life in Death Valley. The wilderness is not the place of death, it's the place of possibility. This life might seem like a wilderness, but God wants to do a work. The victory may not look like you think it should look, but flipping heck, it looks like God wants it to look, and that's a lot better. Because he makes us more and more like himself. I wonder if you're finding yourself in a wilderness place this morning. So I want to ask you to do something go back to God's word maybe study the word wilderness just look it up everywhere in the Bible that it says the word wilderness see what God does in that place of wilderness where you've been told God's not here he'll say oh yes I am I've got something I want to do maybe you find yourself in this temptation sin cycle I want to say to you, temptation is the place and the opportunity for victory. If we do not see the sin in our life, there's no way we can have a choice. The fact that you're sensing a temptation in that area shows to me that God is working in your life. Start to thank Him for who He is. Start to worship Him. Declare who He is. And say, do you know what? I'm tempted by that but I know it's not going to satisfy. So God, I'm going to pursue you. Ask him for the way out. Ask God to show himself through his word, to reveal his way as you make a choice to worship him. As a church, let's, let's sing. And if in this, if this moment you want some prayer this morning, I want to invite you, maybe just to come over to the side over here. As everyone's looking this way at the screen and worshipping. 
make your way over myself and others in church we'd love to pray with you and stand with you because I've got a feeling we're all experts in this Father God we thank you we thank you for your word that speaks truth help us to hear it help us to live it out to get it deep inside of us oh God in the midst of what feels like the toughest decision in the world I pray that you'd help each one of us walk in your way that we wouldn't settle for comfort but we would pursue conformity becoming more and more like you and help us in those moments when we have a choice to choose to worship you not to offer that worship to anybody else or anything else Jesus' name.